The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week for episode 125. We have hit the century and a quarter mark for this fine podcast, and I cannot tell you how grateful I am for your support that we've gotten it to this point, that we've gotten this far. I feel so good. And here's why I also feel good. Remember last week, I told you guys that I was going to be a panelist at an ABA, that's American Bar Association Symposium, uh, at the Miami Entertainment Law Symposium. They were having me on a panel called Breaking Into Entertainment Law. I was one of the panelists talking about how to break it in the entertainment business, uh, specifically advising young lawyers and law students. And I told you guys last week that I was grateful to all of you because, honestly, I would not have been selected for that panel but for this podcast. And this podcast doesn't exist but for your support. So really, you guys gave me that opportunity. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And oh my God, did I have a blast at this symposium panel. Just an absolute blast. I was having the time of my life. And really, I have you guys to thank for that again as well, because here's why. All the advice I gave to the young lawyers and law students out there was all based in the podcast. For example, one of the audience members asked me during the panel if I had tips on networking. You know what I told him? Do a podcast, a law podcast for musicians, kind of like what I'm doing. It's been great for my network uh, and, you know, building relationships with artists and lawyers and all that stuff. Another person asked me, do you have any advice on client development? You know what I told him? Start a podcast. Most of my clients come from the work I do on this podcast. So a lot of what I a lot of the advice I gave for breaking an entertainment law was wildly repetitive, but it all came back to this podcast that we've all helped build together. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I met a ton of awesome attorneys at this conference. I want to bring them all on as guests. So if you notice over the next few weeks, it's like a parade of attorneys that come on. That's because I met a bunch of people at this conference. And so it's going to be attorneys for a while, but they're going to be great. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the best one. They're going to give you great advice because look, I don't know every area of law. No attorney does. So I'm going to bring in attorneys who are experts in other areas to fill in the gaps in terms of what I can bring you so that you can be the most informed as an artist. And I consider that my duty to all of you to make you guys as informed as possible. And so, again, that's what I'm doing. Thank you guys for all your support because, again, I would not have been on that panel but for you guys making this podcast what it is. So thank you so much for just all of that. What a great time I had at this conference. And here's the other thing I enjoyed about the conference it was on Miami Beach, and so I might have stayed an extra night on Miami Beach with my wife, having a nice little Miami Beach staycation, and man, that was a blast. Gosh, Miami Beach is so much fun, just getting to relax out on the water, read a book. I mean, I know I'm so boring, but that's my vacation right there, folks. I love that kind of stuff, and honestly, it's why I love living in Miami, because I get to take a vacation Whenever I want, simply by getting in my car with my wife and driving 30 minutes to get to Miami Beach and getting a nice hotel there. 
I save a lot of money because I don't have to pay for flights. And, you know, I live where people vacation. And so it's so great. God, I love living in South Florida is the best. And I know what a lot of you are saying, like, oh, is that really a real vacation? Because isn't Miami Beach just essentially where you live? Like, you're not going anywhere new. And to what I would say to you is, if you think that's the case, man, you don't know Miami. All right. I don't live. I live geographically close to Miami Beach, but where I live is nothing like Miami Beach. I live in Kendall, K-Town, baby, and it is the suburbiest of the suburbs that you will ever see. It's nothing but houses that look alike, and you got your Carolina Ale House and your Buffalo Wild Wings, and there's your pizza place, and, you know, that's it. And there's a Chuck E. Cheese, and it's Kendall. It's Kendall. It's a suburb it's you know pretty but boring and it's definitely not a place where people vacation but what's nice about it is that you're a 30 minute drive from where everyone in the world wants to vacation and so I love it man staycations are the best and so whenever there's a conference like this that's in my town it's just an excuse to go away with the wife go away with the wife uh, in a hotel and just you know have a great time somewhere so very very cool our guest this week Chris Cass the chief business officer for Sync Tank a cloud-based music licensing software platform i'm excited for what he's going to talk to us about he's going to talk to us about metadata and the importance of having good metadata for the things that you create metadata so important it's playing an increasingly pivotal role and how you as artists are going to get paid from your creations going forward. And so if you want to learn more about metadata, or let's be honest, if you don't know what metadata is, like I didn't until very recently, don't worry, I'm not going to shame you or anything, but I know you guys are out there. You're going to want to stick around for this interview, because either way, you're going to learn a lot, and this stuff is really important for your career. So stick around for Chris Cass in the second segment. And then while you're sticking around for stuff, stick around for the third segment, because in the third segment... We're opening up the Break the Business Coffee House again. This was such a hit with you guys last time. We did this back on episode 122 with Laura Maison. You guys loved this. You guys loved having live performances here in the studio. And we got so much engagement from it. You guys dug it. So we're going to keep doing it. So this week we're doing another installment of the Coffee House Uh, Again, if you missed it last time, go back to episode 122 with Laura Maison. It was great. She was so talented. And this week, in the third segment, we're going to be bringing on Zola. Zola is a student at the University of Miami, Go Canes. And she is a fantastic singer-songwriter. You can check her out at ZolaOfficialMusic.com. And let me tell you something about Zola, okay? The people who know me and know the kind of music I'm into are going to listen to Zola and go, oh, that's Ryan's kind of music right there. I mean, that Zola's music, that's just Ryan Bate. I mean, she's she's got that indie singer-songwriter alt-pop thing going. I mean, just, oh, that's it, just after my own heart, man. I love that kind of music. It, honestly, if they could create a music genre called Zola, and that'd be my favorite genre. So I'm, as both a host of this podcast who wants to show you all good music, I'm excited to have her on. But just as a fan of music, I'm excited to have her on because I can't wait to have her in this studio performing right here for all of us in the Break the Business Coffee House. So stick around for that in the third segment. A great indie artist, and I'm, you know, I'm hoping that you all will be able to support her and to keep supporting this recurring uh, coffee house thing that we're doing. Our thanks, of course, to Women Crush Music for continuing to support that segment. Uh, we'll talk more about them in the third segment, but that's going to be really, really great. 
So stick around for that. But before we bring any of that podcasty goodness on, let's talk a little bit about just some artist stuff. We have a great listener question this week, and I want to talk a little more about the symposium I went to because one of the panels that I attended at the symposium really hit me hard in terms of, man, there's some good stuff here to share with the musicians. And since that symposium was kind of on the expensive side, which is why I went in as a speaker so I wouldn't have to pay the actual fee because, ooh, expensive. But nothing stops me from taking some of that good info during the symposium and bringing it to you guys for a free podcast. So there you go. I'm happy to be the messenger there. One of the panels was talking about the new tax bill and how it affects artists. And we've talked a little bit about the tax bill, but the information that I got at this symposium was really interesting, and I know it's going to resonate with a lot of you artists. Uh, the tax laws have changed considerably with the new tax bill that just went through Congress, and politically, we all have our own feelings about it. I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there who are troubled by the tax bill. There's some folks out there, probably on the wealthy side, who are like, yeah, tax bill. But for artists, it's kind of a mixed bag, and you really got to know how the laws are changing because they're really going to have some serious effects, and you're going to want to talk to your accountant in, in terms of how you should be structuring your business as an artist to make sure you can take advantage of the changes in the law, and more importantly, not get burned by the changes in the law. So here's the main point, without getting too much into the details about what they talked about at that conference because I don't want to bore you to death, but basically, thanks to the new tax bill, you're going to want to strongly consider how you, you know, structuring your work as much as possible as an artist through your own business, as opposed to being a W-2 employee. So some of you, you know, you're owning your own, owning your own business. You got your own corporations, LLCs, sole proprietorships, partnerships, etc. And maybe you also make some money as a W-2 employee. Maybe you're touring with an artist and they pay you as an employee, or maybe you're getting paid as an employee for something either as a musician or another kind of creator. And basically, in this new tax bill, with some exceptions, of course, you want to be paid as much as an independent contractor, as a sole proprietorship of business, as a loan-out corporation, as much as possible, and try to reduce the W-2 income you're getting. You know, Try to be an employee as little as possible, keeping in mind, of course, I know some of you get your benefits through being an employee, so maybe you want to hold on to those, but get as much money into your corporations as possible and as little money into your employment as possible because... The new tax bill gets rid of most of the deductions that artists normally get when they're working as employees, but it creates more deductions for artists when they're operating as their own business. Let me explain. So when you're working as an artist, as an employee, the old tax law allowed you to make all kinds of itemized deductions for all the stuff you do to further your career as an employee. So Let's say you're working as an employee musician. You might be buying instruments or buying cables or buying all these things for your music career. And you used to be able to take all of that as an itemized deduction before you had to pay your taxes, assuming that you deducted enough to get over the standard deduction. And for many of you employees who are buying a ton of equipment, you usually get over that standard deduction and you really benefit from those miscellaneous deductions that you get as a musician who's also an employee. Here's the bad news. Under the new tax bill, all those itemized deductions for employees are pretty much gone. So you get the standard deduction, but if you go above that standard deduction with a bunch of itemized employees for your, a bunch of itemized expenses for your employment, you don't get those anymore. So, uh uh-oh. But here's what you can do about it. Because those deductions, they still exist if you are 
a business, sole proprietorship, partnership, LLC, S-Corp, C-Corporation, all of those entities can still deduct their miscellaneous expenses, um, even though you can't do it if you're doing it as an employee. Furthermore, the tax law, whether they intended to do it or not, also creates a second incentive for you to structure your stuff through a business as much as possible as opposed to just being an employee because artists or because all businesses, sole proprietorships, partnerships, LLCs, S corporations, etc., um, they all um, that are passed through. So not C corporations, but all the other kinds, they all get a new deduction of 20% of their net business income. So once you deduct all your instruments and cables and equipment and all that stuff for your cor- you know, music business, now, on top of that, you get another 20% deduction for your net business income. Now, that deduction doesn't exist forever in terms of all income levels, but once you hit a certain income threshold for artists, that uh, that 20% deduction goes away. But for many artists, you're not going to hit that threshold because that threshold's well into the six figures. So you can still benefit from that deduction at pretty high income amounts. So what's the moral of the story? You might be well served by talking to your accountant and seeing if it's in your interest to try to structure more of your money through your own business as opposed to being paid by an employee. And if you're currently being paid by an employee in your entertainment career, you might want to look into seeing if they will pay you through a loan-out corporation so you can run all that through your business and take advantage of some of these deductions you can get, but that you can't get if you are getting paid as a W-2 employee. So again, talk to your accountant about all that, but you've got some good tips there. We got a listener email this week as well. I love getting these listeners' emails. You can, If you have a question you want us to answer on the show, just email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. We love getting questions from you guys. You guys always make better content than I possibly could. So again, keep them coming. We're happy to answer any uh, good music career questions on the show. And if I don't know the answer, guess what? We'll bring in somebody who does. Again, that's breakthebusiness at gmail.com if you have any questions. Here's the question for this week. Somebody asks, how do I pay a co-writer on a song? who gave permission for me to allow another artist to release the song, but now when I try to get in touch with that co-writer, they've stopped communicating with me about payments. Well, that's interesting. So what I'm gauging from the scenario here is you wrote a song with somebody, and then that co-writer seemed to have disappeared off the face of the earth. And now you have an artist, but before they disappeared, they said, I'm okay with you having other artists record our song. And now another artist has come along and they've recorded your song and you've gotten some royalties for that. And now you're trying to figure out how much do I have to pay this co-writer? Do I still have to pay this co-writer? What are the percentages? What do they look like? All great questions. And here's kind of how you want to think about it. So I noticed from the question that you got the permission from this co-writer before they dropped off the face of the earth. But what you might be interested in knowing is that the, under the American rule, with joint works, which is what you have here because it's a work created with two or more individuals, unless you have an agreement that says otherwise with your co-writer, any co-writer in a work is free to exploit the joint work without the other artist's permission as long as you give your co-writer their fair share of the money collected. So American law doesn't even require you to get the co-author's permission to have another artist release your song, but you got that permission, so that's great. And here's a good general tip for all of you musicians to know. When you write a song with co-writers, get some agreement in writing that says whether or not the co-writers are allowed to exploit the work without the other's permission. 
The reason for this is because, notwithstanding the American rule, which says you generally don't need the permission, other countries do require that you get the permission of all co-authors before you license a work in any particular instance. So if you're going to do anything internationally with this song, it's good that you have everybody on the same page. So get that permission in writing. Get whether or not you're going to allow other co-authors to exploit the work without other artists' permission in writing. But either way, in this case, you have the permission, so that's not the big problem you're having. The big problem you're having is that you're having trouble finding your co-author and you're wondering how much you have to pay them. Well, there's another American rule here that you need to know, and that is if you don't have an agreement that says otherwise with your co-author, if you don't have any agreement in place with your co-author, the law is going to assume that all of the co-authors own the work equally. And I know what you're saying. Well, what if I did most of the creating and they only did a small part of the creating? Well, guess what? The law is generally not going to care. The law is not going to try to look at your work and figure out who, who how much each person contributed. If you don't have a something in writing that says who owns what piece of the work, they're going to assume you are all owning the work equally. So let's say if you wrote this work with this co-author and one other person, then any money you get from licensing that work has to be shared with all with those two other people equally. So you'd each get one third of the money and it would be your responsibility to share that royalty money with your other co-authors. And I think what this story tells you is how important split sheets are. Whenever you write a song, people draw up a split sheet. It's going to make your life a lot easier. Question I'm sure you guys are having, perhaps, what is a split sheet? A split sheet is just a contract that you have with co-writers that basically lays out some of the general rules that you're all going to abide by regarding this song that you've written. One thing that's going to be in that split sheet, how do you people own what percentage of the song? So how much of the song do I own? How much of the song does my co-author own? How much royalties does the co-author get versus how much I get? You can even divide the ownership in terms of music and lyrics if you might be licensing those things separately. And you can cover all those things in the split sheet if you don't want to do the default rule, which is just all the co-authors own the work equally. Maybe one co-author only contributed a small part, and so they shouldn't get a even split of the song and you can cover all that in the split sheet. The other thing you can do with the split sheet is to, is what we talked about a little bit earlier in that listener question which is dictate whether or not you need the other's co-writer's permissions before you exploit a song. So you can get all that in writing so that if you're going to do some stuff internationally you already have something in writing saying whether or not you need the co-writer's permission before you do any sort of international licensing of your, of your work. But again, folks, split sheets, so incredibly important. Whenever you write a song with other people, always draw up a split sheet. It'll make your life a lot easier. All right, folks, Chris Cass coming up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. He is the Chief Business Officer for SyncTank, a cloud-based software platform that provides music licensing solutions for publishers, labels, broadcasters, and studios. You can find out more about his work by visiting www.synctank.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Cass is on the Break the Business Podcast. Chris, thank you so much for being on with us. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks to hear from you. Oh, it is great to have you on. I'm I'm a fan of yours, man. You have had such a cool, impressive career in the music industry, particularly in the areas of managing music rights for artists. You've done so much. You got a really impressive resume. Can you tell the folks listening a bit about some of the highlights of your career journey, particularly how it brought you to where you are now with Sync Tank? Sure. I mean, I started off having my own uh, independent record label and management company. I did that for a few years. Had a, it was more of a, a hobby rather than anything else. It was great fun. Um, and then we started up what became the world's first online music community, I would say. Um, not dissimilar to SoundCloud. Uh, that was a company called Vitaminic. Um, this is way back when, in like 1999. Um, and the, the interesting thing there was we were building a music community where artists could upload their music and share and, and discuss their uh, content with each other and then build what would be known as a, as a marketplace for the major record labels to put their music into that area as well, which they never really did because of um, digital rights management issues back in the day. So we had to pivot slightly and get very involved in the beginning of the ringtone business. I don't know if anybody remembers the ringtone business, but that was a huge back in the day. And um, yeah, so involved in a lot of the very first online licensing deals. Um, got to the point where there was this suddenly almost too much uh, light legal music available on the web. So it was difficult to make sense of that amorphous mass. <laughs> so I started working with um, with Gracenote, which is a company that um, specializes in metadata. And, and metadata is a big... Um, uh, issue for me. I, I'm a big fan of making sure that metadata is looked after. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up. I'm, I'd am i love to talk with you about metadata because it's honestly something that I want to learn more about. And I know it's something that's going to be a lot more, uh, a lot have a lot of value for artists to really get a hold of their metadata and have good metadata hygiene. Before we get into that, though, I want to learn a little bit more about Sync Tank so that the listeners can uh, find out about the great work you guys are doing over there. Can you tell us a bit about what Sync Tank does, and uh, you know, talk a bit about uh, with you know how to like who are your customers with Sync Tank? Who do you guys rep- represent? Well, our customer, so Sync Tank is a software platform. Um, so we work on a business model whereby you're essentially renting uh, a piece of the platform uh, for a given period of time, um, and we work frankly, with uh, all different types of, uh, of clients. Now, a client could be an independent artist working from their bedroom who's just starting out in the music business world, um, but it also includes pay TV operators like British Telecom. Um, it includes movie studios such as Disney and Fox. Um, and it includes major and independent record labels and music publishers. So we really are in a pretty unique position in that we see a lot of the world um, when it comes to 
the management of rights. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, folks, you should also know that Sync Tank also has an educational kind of platform called Sync Blog, S-Y-N-C-H-B-L-O-G.com. You guys do some great articles there, really valuable advice uh, for artists to learn more about the world of Sync. So uh, thank you guys for that service you all put on. But let's get back to this uh, piece about metadata, because I'm not going to lie to you, Chris, um, as a lawyer, as you know, like all lawyers, we fear technology. And so that's why we bring on people like you who know a lot more about technology and can talk about the role that technology can play in helping musicians move their careers forward. And metadata certainly is a big part of that. So let's let's start with the most basic idea here. What is metadata? Sure. Well, I mean, metadata means a lot of things to different people. Um, I would personally, I would uh, split it simply into two. Uh, you have metadata, which is rights information. So that would be who is the songwriter, um, what are the writing splits, um, all the information about uh, who essentially controls the copyright at any moment in time in any given territory if necessary. So, and that's important, obviously, because um, you know who to get paid. Um, and it's very important for the creators to make sure that they do keep this metadata hygiene. Um, you know, I remember back in the day that uh, the only metadata that existed on this was, was essentially label copy, which went out with um, vinyl and CDs when they were released. Oh, like liner well, notes, kind of. Yeah, kind of. But they're... Um, yeah, I mean, if you like, but they, these were like the official ones which would get filed with the publisher from the record label. Um, but now this can actually be inserted within music files themselves and often is. And and in many cases can be done, you know, at the mixing desk uh, or, the, or the mastering suite. So um, very important to have this rights information um, in terms of, you know, who actually wrote it um, and who, who controls it. And then there's other types of metadata which is sometimes put on... Um, by third parties, and this includes adding like mood and tempo and uh, classification by genre. Um, this this is very important because it helps uh, the discovery process. And you know, in this day and age, the, the 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 there's very little disconnect now between your television and your stereo. I mean, basically, most music I would say is is actually consumed on on. Uh, TV and portable devices rather than on uh, the old way, which is through sort of like turntables and amplifiers, but by far. Um, and, you know, there is there there is a um, there are companies out there that spend a considerable amount of time and get paid considerable amounts of money to make sure that uh, this particular artist and has a relationship uh, that is known between their song and how it appears in a TV commercial, how it appears in a movie or how it appears in a TV show all around the world, um, because this helps with user discovery and user experience. And, you know, in the in the pay TV world, um, and even if that's a non-pay TV world like YouTube or something, it's all about how much time will people spend um, watching programs, because that's then how they can monetize it through advertising. So. Um, you know, metadata means many things and is, um, is one of the most critical 
um, parts of the business as far as I'm concerned. I think the, the current cliche is, you know, data is the new oil. Um, so metadata certainly fits into that. Oh, certainly. So there, there, it, it is immeasurably valuable in the world of rights management and it's valuable for platforms in which music discovery is a critical component of what they do. So I imagine uh, platforms like Spotify are going to definitely take advantage of, of this. And so now if I'm an artist and I'm listening to what you're saying and I realize that metadata is the future and it's going to help my rights management, it's going to help people discover my music, what do I do to manage my metadata? What does that actually look like in practice for an artist? Um, well, typically you'll be um, sort of with your rights information. Um, if you're submitting uh, this, if, you, if you're in control of your own rights, you're quite likely to be registering that to, um, you know, performing right performance rights organisations and other collection societies. You may have a manager that will look after these this information when you're working. Uh, if you've got a, a deal with a record label or a publisher. They will be, you know, it's their, it's in their interest as well if they're controlling the rights to actually get this information. Now, you know, what what is this information? Well, it's everything as simple as um, the name of the song, the name of the artist, uh, who is the songwriter, what is the, um, what who, how much of that song did they actually write? Um, how many they may be contributing um, songwriters, they may be contributing artists. Uh, which which labels, which territories, where is this all being performed? All of this information needs to be gathered up uh, to ensure that the right people are paid at the right time. And there's, there's a, a, a terrible mess out there, which lots of people are spending a lot of time trying to sort out. Well, and it's particularly important, uh, at least in, in, in here in America, as we're about to, or maybe close to passing the Music Modernization Act, which could allow which could eat more easily facilitate payments to copyright holders but what that law also says is if you don't have you know clear information about who owns the work and how much every person gets paid and you don't have that in the government database you could lose out and you know lose your right to sue if somebody infringes your work and you may not get paid mechanical royalties and so just in terms of being able to protect your rights in the legal sphere this kind of information is more important than ever Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's a very good point. And that's, um, I suppose, underlining what I'm saying. I mean, if you, there's, it, and it, and it works the other way as well. I mean, if you, if you're, if you're at a major corporation and you've got this, you know, complete mess of, of rights information that you're looking at, and you may be getting paid from, by different sub publishers all over the world, you need to make sure, hang on a second, am I actually getting paid for content I own or music that I own? Or maybe I'm not getting paid for stuff which I, which I own. Um, if I'm getting paid for stuff which I don't actually own, maybe I'm not getting paid for the stuff I do own. And it's a terrible mess and a, and a big headache for business affairs and legal departments out there. So, you know, it's all, I think there's a lot of um, thinking that, you know, it's such a mess in the past that, you know, at least now, let's just start from everything that's created from, you know, today, that we get everything in, in order so that we don't create more of a mess for the future and then go backwards and try and um, sort things out. It, it's a it's a big challenge, but I mean, just keep things sort of like realistic and simple. For, for artists starting out now, the main message here on metadata is just make sure that when you're recording your music, when you're releasing your record, that you're, or putting it onto YouTube, I mean, this is the other thing, people don't need to release records anymore, okay? But when you have all this information, when you're putting it onto YouTube or whatever, just make sure that you're capturing it and you're and you're tracking it and you're um, being able to report, you know, be able to report it to 
um, by by collating all this information yourself. So how does an artist do that? And apologies for the, for sort of a stupid question there, but you're, you're saying, you know, when you put music out on YouTube, which you are correct, it is basically the number one music distribution service right now in terms of all the music that's being put out on this platform. Uh, how does one sort of track, you know, effectively, as far as you're concerned, you know, what they're doing on YouTube so that you can take advantage of all the royalties to which you might be entitled? Well, I mean, you'll, you'll be submitting um, the information uh, to YouTube. And if you're, if you're in a fortunate or unfortunate position, depends which way you look at it, but if you're in a position where, you know, this has gone viral, yeah, and everybody's watching or listening to what you're doing, there are, there are um, companies out there who, when it reaches a certain scale, are more than happy to um, help you collect your royalties if they're not um, collected already. There's a, there's a whole ecosystem of companies out there that do this. Um, that's not to say, uh, and, and Frank, there are also um, ways to watermark your music so and actually pay for those to be tracking. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say that's the, that's the thing which should be at the forefront of an artist's mind when they're creating their music and releasing it. I'm just saying, make sure you capture all the information in terms of who appeared on your song, Make sure there's no, you know, there's quite often arguments of, of who the songwriter is after the event. The old uh, cliche of where there's a hit, there's a writ. You know, you just, it's just basically get, getting your, um, getting your, getting your information uh, together, and not to be, and not to be slack about it. In the past, people were, and are quite often now feeling the pain. Um, so. Don't, you know, learn from the past. There's no point repeating mistakes in the past, right? Sure. Um, and apologies if this is going to sound like a stupid question, but, you know, I'm much more tech illiterate here. When I, when, I, when I think of tracking information for a song being produced, particularly all the people who wrote a song, in the legal world, we do that with just a split sheet. It's a sheet of paper that's, you know, where everybody writes down who the songwriters are and what percentage they contributed to, like, the music and the lyrics and the top line, et cetera. Um, but, you know, that's kind of a that's much more of a primitive approach. Uh, I, I sort of get the sense from you that metadata allows kind of more of a, a digital you know, 21st century way to record that stuff. Uh, yeah. So, a, I mean, like on what platforms might one record this that kind of information? Is that just something that they can do? On, is there a software for that or is there a well, different Sync websites? Tank's a example. Sync Tank's a great example. Um, if you have a. Um, if you take a, the Sync Tank uh, platform, you're essentially managing your music in the cloud. Okay, um, so you're, I mean, so, so you got to remember, Sync Tank was um, was created uh, by uh, a gentleman called Joel Jordan, who um, is the founder, and he started off um, life in having in pitching his music to. Um, third-party, you know, pub, uh, publishers or TV production companies or or advertisers, and he was having to rummage through filing cabinets and um, sending his music via Dropbox or SoundCloud, or um, you know, just basically not understanding if if anybody's actually received the music in the first place, and that's really why he built built Sync Tank um, to basically so that he could upload his music into Sync Tank, upload all his metadata, all the supporting information around it. And then when he's, um, you know, going into meetings, 
he would open up his laptop or his phone and say, well, this is the music that, that I'm licensing here. And people became extremely impressed about the software itself as well as the music. Um, and, you know, that's that was a few years ago. And now, you know, obviously we've, we've grown to, to the extent that we're working with, you know, most of the major Hollywood studios and a number of um, you know, major record companies as well as the independent community. So storing all this in in one central area is um you know sounds like a, a terrible plug for a sync tank but that's essentially what you can do right i mean and that's why it's central to um to the needs of any artist is you know when you've all that um splits information that you that you mentioned earlier ryan that that would in the old days be kept in a filing cabinet somewhere right now now you can actually keep that in the cloud and you have you can access it anywhere you are in the world at any moment in time and you you, you need that information at your fingertips well i love it now it wasn't Outwardly trying to plug Sync Tank there, but man, did I just set you up perfectly. <laughs> you did. Please throw me another one. That's great. <laughs> yes. Yes. On a, on a scale of nine to 10, how great is Sync Tank? <laughs> um, you, can, you can find Sync Tank by going to uh, www.synctank.com. You can also check out their great informational resources at syncblog.com. Chris, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for lending your technological genius and your fantastic resume uh, to us for this interview. Before we let you go, do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I come from the independent music community. Um, I am a strong believer that you, um, but keep control of your rights as much as possible. Obviously, I think I've said enough about metadata, but that's a, you know, that, that alongside the music itself is super important. Um, and you know, the world is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy now, right? The world has totally changed. When I was, um, when I was a young man, Everything was played out in the in the newspapers, and now what we find is you turn on YouTube and you watch things like uh, Takashi Six Nine or Trivi Red, and uh, you know beefs that are going online. Everything is like a like a soap drama on um, on steroids happening in, in front of your eyes on YouTube. It's really about you know forgetting the old world. You really got to um, you know pay your part in the social media. Because you you start getting the um, you know I think you get something like two hundred thousand views you'll soon be getting um, you know big big checks dropped on you if that's what you want you know I, I'm a strong believer that you don't need to sell out to a major record label you can try and do things as independently as possible um, for as long as possible but you know each to their own so I would just say you know just make sure you're you're making use of new media and kind of forgetting a little bit about the old media of the past. Love it. Uh, great insight. Thank you so much, Chris. It has been a pleasure. Please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Thanks, Ryan. Real pleasure. We'll nice. be right back. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> we'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support.
Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Chris Cass for joining us in the previous segment. You can find out more about Sync Tank by visiting www.synctank.com. And be sure to also check out the Sync blog at syncblog.com because they got some great advice there on how to get sync placements. A lot of cool tips for indie artists out there. You definitely want to check that out. Love that guy, Chris Cass. I must confess, I did not know as much about metadata until the last few weeks, and the more I learn about it, the more I realize how important it is, so I'm glad we have folks like Chris in here to just show us the way. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on our four platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Five-star reviews, folks. We love them, love them, love them. You can email the Break the Business podcast at breakthebusiness.com at gmail.com if you have any questions for us to answer on the show like that one we had in the first segment it always makes the show better when we get listener input Uh, you can check out the break the business book uh, at amazon just search break the business it's available in paperback ebook and audiobook and if you're really just looking for a way to promote the podcast and you're thinking you don't have the funds to get the book or anything like that really the best form of promotion is to just tell a friend Tell a friend about what we're doing here. Get some people interested in this show. The more that we build this audience out, the more that we're helping people. And that's all we're trying to do. All right, folks, we are now opening up the Break the Business Coffee House this week. This is a recurring series we've been doing on the podcast. We've been so grateful to be able to show off so many awesome local artists. This is presented by our dear friends at Women Crush, a fantastic organization providing lots of opportunities and showcases for women in music. They have branches all over the U.S. and Canada. So if you're a woman in music and you're looking for just a great network wherever you are to just uh, get some nice showcasing opportunities, some nice networking opportunities, visit womencrushmusic.com. You're going to find the branch near you. And speaking of our coffee house, we are joined in the studio this week by Zola. She is an awesome singer-songwriter and a music student at the University of Miami. Check her out at ZolaOfficialMusic.com. Oh, look at that. (laughs) Um, Zola, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, this almost seems inappropriate. Let me go ahead and turn off the fake studio audience because I think for the first time in the history of this podcast, I actually have a real studio audience here. Uh, yeah. Oh, look at that. That's, like, this is the first time I've ever had a guest bring an entourage with her. And um, so you just did your senior recital, right, at the University of Miami. And so you, you have your parents and some of your friends here who are just, you know, who are in town and they're just your support group and they go everywhere you go. Exactly. <laughs> well, um, this is awesome. Although I, I, I feel a little self-conscious, like I don't, you know, are they looking at me or they're looking at you? They're, of course, everybody's looking at you. You're the star, but um, this is, this is interesting. It's a new experience, but I'm digging it. I love it. And uh, I love the much more genuine applause than we get from the <laughs> fake recording. Um, Zola, I was singing your praises in the first segment because I was telling people that those who know me and know the kind of music I like, it's basically what you do. Um, like they should just create a genre of music called Zola. And that's what I'd be listening to that kind of indie pop, you know, with a little bit of edge to it. Um, you can tell, you know, a proficient musician, like that kind of singer songwriter stuff that that's Ryan Bate basically. And so to have Zola in the studio to play the, just the kind of music I like is not only great for the whole audience, but selfishly, I'm happy because <laughs> I love this kind of music. So I'm thrilled you're here. So tell the folks a little bit about your sound. Um, so I actually have never really been able to define what kind of music I play. I listen to a wide variety of um, musicians and songwriters, and I kind of like pulling from everyone that I listen to and trying to incorporate that in my music. Um, so I feel like my sound is kind of always 
changing and evolving um, with what I'm listening to currently. Um, but some of my biggest um, influencers are probably Lord. Um, I've been listening to a lot of SZA, um, songwriters like Ian Curtis. I have this book um, with literally just lyrics that he's written where I'll just flip through it and find things that inspire me and then go off of that. See, you're just reading off my Apple Music playlist now. <laughs> this is why I'm excited to have you here. This is great. Um, is part of what created this sort of eclectic musical journey for you, is it, is it a product of going to music school and just seeing a bunch of musicians who are doing all these different genres and, does, and it sort of informs the music you make? Um, actually, no. I Before college, I never hung out with any musicians. It was really? kind of when I got to college that I started hanging out with people who did what I did weirdly um so a lot of that actually comes from my parents what they listened to um so the ian curtis comes from my parents listening to a lot of 80s music um so yeah kind of whatever i listened to in high school so you were just the the musician amongst your friends wherever yeah, you went exactly oh. and no one listened to what i listened to so. <laughs> well um i'm this is so exciting to have you here um i i, I can I, I it's true i mean while you know people might sort of just peg you as indie pop or you know alt pop or something like that you really do hear a lot of other kind of genres and influences sprinkled in there and it's it's kind of fun to listen to you and i feel like a lot of listeners are are kind of buying what you're selling i looked at your soundcloud recently and the numbers you're doing on there especially for you know an unsigned artist are bonkers i mean some i mean some of your soundcloud numbers are are well into the six figures you've really struck a chord with a lot of people and it's and they're not just plays for the sake of plays i'm seeing a lot of comments a lot of engagement on there and i know there are a lot of listeners out there who are trying to make music in their own right and would love to get that kind of engagement on soundcloud what did you do to kind of get your music to that wide of an audience um kind of happened by luck i guess I started using SoundCloud when everyone else started using SoundCloud because that was just a way of sharing your music without putting a video. You could kind of just put whatever you recorded and maybe people would listen to it. Maybe they wouldn't. Um, but I, a friend of a friend um, knows these big artists um, who've been getting bigger and bigger and he knows their um, password and username to their SoundCloud account and went on <laughs> and just reposted my song on their SoundCloud account. Um, and then it's kind of just been going up since then. Well, you talk about luck there, but I almost feel like you're not doing a lot of stuff justice because what you call luck, that's, that's networking, that's finding the right influencers, that's connecting yourself with the right people. And while it may seem like luck as you're kind of looking back on it now, I bet a lot of hard work went into that. A lot of meeting the right people in the industry went into that. A lot of hustling on your part. That stuff doesn't just happen to anybody. It's not like playing the lottery. I mean, that, I mean, that's kudos for connecting yourself with uh, the kind of people that can move your career forward. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely, you need to be really good about associating yourself with the right people and knowing who the right people are, definitely. Right on. Yeah. And all right, I, I don't want to tease this anymore you know we're talking about all the engagement you're getting and we're hearing about all these different genre influences and i can already hear the people in the future as they listen to this downloading saying just play the damn song already so uh tell the folks uh, what are you gonna play for us today um so i'm gonna play a song called undermine um it's kind of my more sad gloomy songs um those are my favorite <laughs> but uh it's definitely a favorite of mine and i don't really get to play it very often just because it's acoustic based um, just me and a guitar. So. Oh, 
perfect setting for this. All right, let's uh, let's everyone let's put down our mugs here at the coffee house. Um, you know, makes your kid a nice vibe going for everybody. Um, since this is a sad song, maybe we want to Irish up our coffees a bit, uh, <laughs> get us in the right mood to to feel a little sad. All right, no, I'm so excited for this. All right, uh, without further ado, please take it away.
to be left alone Walk on solid ground Before I make you drown Before it's too hard To let go Before it's too Oh my goodness, Zola! That's well, true. We don't need the fake stuff. Yeah, here, here, in the room. Yeah, all right. We got the real clapping. Zola, that was exquisite. Thank you. Thank you so much for gracing our podcast with that fantastic performance. Thank you, man. The, 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 I, I tell you, the the people have been digging the coffee house thing. You know. When we when we did the the first one, all I got were tweets and emails from people saying like, "What are you gonna do another one of these?" Mm-hmm. And now I just know I'm gonna get my in, inbox inundated <laughs> again, folks. If you want to find out more about all the fantastic music that Zola has, and there's plenty more where that came from, go to zolaofficialmusic.com. And I believe you were telling me before we started interviewing that you have an EP coming out, right? I do. And this song will actually be on the EP. Oh, there you go. So. <laughs> uh, do, do we know around when it's coming out yet? Um, beginning July. Beginning July. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, when, when people sort of want to find out when it's popping out, like do you have a mailing list? How can people sort of keep in touch with you? I do. If you go on my website and you subscribe, you will receive emails from me with updates. All right. Let us all keep tabs on her, folks. Like, if, if she's got a whole EP mm-hmm. full of songs like that, we're <laughs> definitely going to want to get a hold of this EP. Again, that's Zola, Z-O-L-A, officialmusic.com. I got that right? Yep. Very, very cool. Zola, thank you so much for joining the thank Break of Business Coffeehouse <laughs> this week. And congratulations, because I think you did your senior recital, so you're graduating soon. I am. Uh, I can already see the smiles on your parents' face. Yeah, no more <laughs> tuition checks. That's never fun. Um, and please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Thank you so much. All right. And thank you all very much, folks for listening to the Break the Business podcast. Our thanks to Chris Cass for joining us in the first segment. We'll see you next week.